everybody. Morning. Oh, wow. All right, you guys are awake. That's a, it's that song, wasn't it? Man, House of Miracles. That's what I'm talking about. That's good. All of those of, of you who are online, welcome to you as well. We're so glad that you are with us because we know that God's no respecter of distance. So if he's here, he's in your house too. We're glad. And um, if this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. Our prayer is that you're going to find something meaningful today. Um, I'm going to start a new series, as you can tell from the, uh, from the graphic. Nope. Oops. Not yet. It's coming. So due to technical difficulties beyond our control. Um, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to start a series today on the life of David. Uh, King David, that is. Uh, not me, David, because it'd be really short. It wouldn't be that interesting. So uh, it's cool. Now, we're going to talk about the life of uh, the, uh, King David. There's lots of material about this, and my, my hope is that this is going to take us through the summertime. Um, I, th- I think it will. Uh, those of you who've been with me for a while know that I usually try to pick something that'll take us through the summer so that when people go on vacation, when they get back, they at least have some idea of what we're talking about and we haven't switched things up. So, so we're going to talk about the life of David. And um, of course, we have to start with some history. And I know a lot of you like that. And I think this is, this is an important um, piece of this because if we don't, there it is, um, there's a, uh, an important thing that we have to, to really grasp um, is the historical context. Otherwise, you run the risk of making some really goofy theological choices. And so every time we open up the book, that's one of the things that we want to understand is how, how is this book written in, in light of history a little bit. So in general, uh, you can divide history up into certain segments, and I've just kind of arbitrarily picked um, six of them. So you've got the enslavement in Egypt. Do you remember that from, from Sunday school when you were growing up, that the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt? And of course, then we have the Exodus, which is so funny because um, the Charlton Heston version of, of Exodus always happens at Easter time, which I never really understood because the Exodus doesn't have a whole lot to do with the death or resurrection of Jesus, but maybe a little bit. I don't know. Anyway, so we've got the Exodus. Uh, then you've got the conquest of, of Canaan, and that's the whole Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, and, and you remember that, right? Yeah, there's flannel grass for that. I know because I've seen them. Um, Judges, the book of Judges, which is a completely bizarre book, <clears throat> and uh, there's um, quite a bit of material written on it, but uh, that's an interesting uh, book to read. And then you've got this segment of the kings. So Israel is ruled by judges, and then it is ruled by kings. And then finally, you have the Babylonian captivity, or what we call the exile. So what's interesting about this segment of Jewish history that I'm, I'm picking is that it starts with enslavement and ends with exile, okay? And out of all of this, I want to concentrate on the life of King David, and in order to do that, we really need to understand that period right there between judges and, and the kings. And so let me, let me try to outline this a little bit so this begins to make sense. Um, and first and foremost, you have to think in terms of a judge as not somebody who presides over a court, but rather a tribal or re- regional decision maker in times of crisis. So you would have these judges that would rise up for specific periods of time to help, typically to help Israel out of a jam. 
Does that make sense? So you've, if you go back and look at the book of Judges, you will see many of these judges will rise to the surface under typically very bad circumstances. Um, and then uh, you've got the, the notion of a king. And the king is an administrative uh, and a military leader who is, whose purpose is to protect the people. So we move from judges rising up in times of crisis to kings who kind of have this administrative um, capacity, but also as a constant protection, if this makes sense. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the coming weeks, and we're going to see this transition actually occur. But the thing that you've got to get in your mind when we're talking about the shift from judges to kings is the king doesn't come along by himself. He comes along with a couple of other, uh, I'm going to call them offices because I don't have a better word for it. So you have the office of king, but you also have the office of a priest. And this is a religious leader who, who kind of intercedes, um, uh, basically he, he uh, speaks to God for the people. Does that make sense? So you've got this intermediary so that the people of God can actually talk to God. And, and typically that happens around a whole set of rituals related to sacrifice. So you have a king, you have a priest, and then you have a prophet. And the prophet spoke to the people on behalf of God. So kind of the, the mouthpiece of God. And it was the prophet who actually, I mean, there's a particular order to this, prophet, king, and priest. Because the prophet in ancient Israel actually had, in many respects, a lot more power than even the king did, which was highly unusual for ancient Near Eastern cultures. Because typically speaking, if the king had a prophet, it was a member of the court. That is not the case in Israel. The prophet spoke for God. And that king had better watch out. And you're going to see that here in a couple of weeks, especially when we talk about a king named Saul. Okay? So some of these names, some of these ideas may be familiar to you, and I want to try to draw them together, and we're going to thread them together over a period of time. So keep this in mind. There's a prophet, there's a king, and there's a priest. And they all have different functions within the administration or the governance of Israel in this idea of a theocracy because God supposedly is the head of all things. So if we're going to talk about this transition from judges to kings, we first need to talk about the prophets who anointed those kings. And the man who bridges between uh, judges um, and the kings is a man named Samuel. And Samuel is a very interesting character uh, let me say this, that he serves um, as a bridge because he is the last judge, but he's also the first prophet. And let me give you some, some passages to kind of hang your hat on. So here's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year. He would return to Ramah, for, uh, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. So that follows suit with what we see in the book of Judges. So Samuel serves as a judge. But interestingly enough, in Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 3, in Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Man, as a preacher, I wish I could say that too. Just saying. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. 
So we have dual roles for this person called Samuel. He is the last of the judges and first of what we call the Old Testament prophets. Now, let me make a little note here because I think this is really interesting. Just kind of as a, if you're gonna, you know, if you're on Jeopardy, you might get a question like this, maybe not, or Trivial Pursuit or Bible Quiz or whatever it happens to be. There's this fascinating parallel between the character of Samuel and John the Baptist. And someday I want to develop this a little bit more because I think it's an important thing. But what we find is that John the Baptist, his parents, and Samuel's parents uh, both had trouble conceiving children. And and so their circumstances of their parents are are very similar. They both had significant ties to the temple um, uh, or the um, uh, uh, place of worship, the tabernacle. Um, where um, Samuel bridges between, between judge and Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist is the bridge between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophecy. It's a really interesting thing because even Jesus says of all the prophets, John is the greatest. And so he is numbered among the Old Testament prophets, but he is clearly also the herald of Jesus in a very different way. And so he bridges that gap between Old Testament and New Testament. And here's the other really interesting thing, is that we know um, from history that for roughly 300 years, God was completely silent. And then John the Baptist is on the scene, and he breaks God's silence. And as we're going to see here in just a minute, in, in a moment, um, Samuel does the same thing. So hang with me here. There's some really interesting parallels between these powerful characters within, within the Bible. So we're going to take a look at this remarkable man named Samuel. Now the story begins with Samuel's parents. <clears throat> like Zechariah and Elizabeth, as I said, they were having uh, trouble conceiving a baby. And so um, uh, Samuel's parents go into the temple and pray. And... Um, uh, eventually they conceive and they have Samuel. And in gratitude, Samuel was lent to the Lord, lent back to the Lord. And so he uh, went and served um, in a place of worship under a man named Eli. And you can read about this story. It's in 1 Samuel, beginning with chapter 1, and uh, we're going to pick this story up in chapter 3. So at a very young age, there's Samuel off serving at a place of worship and serving under a person named Eli. And so here's where we pick up the story. It might be familiar to you. You might have seen this before. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. That's kind of of sort of the chief priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So not exactly the silence that we see in the the 300 years between the, the testament, uh, Old Testament and the New Testament, but still, there's a, clearly this notion that God's been pretty quiet up until this point. And so Samuel's going to break the silence, just like John the Baptist does. Does this make sense? Okay. So, there we are. There's no frequent vision. Verse 2. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. That's an important point right there. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of vision. The Lord is not speaking. But that lamp has not completely gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where 
the ark of God was. So we have this, this picture now. Um, what we do know is that Eli had two very bad sons, and the Lord was going to hold all of them accountable here in just a moment. But what we see at the beginning is that Samuel is there serving in the temple. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I, uh, here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli then said, I did not call, lie down again. So it went and lay down. Now, okay, I, I appreciate um, kind of the, 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 the Hebrew language and all this kind of thing, but you know as well as I do that if a little boy comes to wake you up in the middle of the night, that is not how you are going to respond, right? <laughs> Go lay down. <laughs> get back in. You better get back into that bed, right? Kind of a thing. I can only imagine how this thing is, this, uh, is happening. Next verse, and the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But then Eli replied, I, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now he's a little, this is a relatively young boy that's here. <clears throat> so Samuel is not sure what's going on, and Eli's, he's tired. He keeps getting woken up in the middle of the night. <clears throat> and the Lord called Samuel again a third time. I think this is funny. I don't know about you. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. I love the fact that it took him three times to figure out something was going on, right? How often does that happen to us? Like the third time's a charm? Here we go. Kind of have this idea going on here. And so Samuel went down. And so um, verse 10, And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Now, this kind of reminds me of something a little bit. See if the, this kind of tracks with your own experience with your kids. When you're calling your kids and you don't get a response, and you call again and you don't get a response, and the third time you don't get a response, about that fourth time, things are a little too quiet. I need to go check this out. So when, when it says that the Lord came and stood, it's kind of like mama going into the room to see what's really going on, right? Like, you had better, you better respond to me, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. At least that's the impression that I got. Here the Lord steps into the room because he's tired of, of being ignored. Oh, not that he's being ignored. You understand what I'm saying. But this kind of reminds me of what happens with mothers and, and kids, and now he doesn't necessarily say his name once, he uses it twice, which would be the equivalent of saying the first and middle name. How many of you knew that you were in trouble when mama used middle name, right? Yes, uh-huh. If I heard David Paul, mm, that means you better put a hustle in it. Yeah. And so here he says Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. He uses the name twice because there's a certain element of, of seriousness that's going on here. So, verse 11. Remember, Samuel responded just as Eli told him. 
Then the Lord said to Samuel, he didn't know him at this point. He said, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What does that mean? How many, have, how many of you have heard the term make your ears itch? Have you, have you heard that term before? I'm not, I don't know. I think it means different things in different places. But in the Hebrew language, it, it carries two ideas with it. I think you'll find it quite interesting. <clears throat> On the one hand, it means um, to chatter with fear. If it's being used in a certain context, it's this idea of fear. And, and the other one it's um, uh, used kind of in this case means to redden with shame. So this idea of tingling. And, and you've probably had those experiences where you've had some emotions that have elicited a certain physical response to you, right? And typically your face either turns red or your ears turn red or, you know. So the idea that's being conveyed here is that <clears throat> God is about ready to break his silence in a big way. Would you agree with that, based on kind of what we're hearing? I mean, he's, he's saying it flat out. You know, pe- people are not going to like this. Then he goes on to talk about how he's going to bring judgment on the, on the house of Eli in particular. And so the Lord tells Samuel some very hard truths. In fact, um, Eli demands that Samuel tell him what the Lord said. And Samuel didn't want to say it because it was judgment against his mentor's house. Yeah. And of course, then we get down to uh, verse 19 and 20. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. It all starts right here with this little dialogue. Well, actually, it's more than... Um, dialogue. There's one between Samuel and Eli and then Samuel and the Lord. And this conversation that's, that's occurring. It really is kind of a, a powerful story. And I want to offer just a, a couple of thoughts on this. And the first one is, is this, and I think this is really important, is that sometimes when the Lord speaks to us, um, I you know, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I don't think it's sometimes. I think it's often. When the Lord speaks, you need somebody else to help you understand. I, I really believe that's true. Because remember, it says Samuel didn't know the Lord. And, and his word was not revealed to him yet. And so he needed Eli to say, you know, after three times that, hey, next time, this is what you're supposed to say. And, and, and there's a lot of things that, that we can talk about with that. But community is crucial. I, I really think that's true. Community is crucial to the, to the Christian experience, to any spiritual experience, but certainly for those of us who wear the name of Jesus, we need that kind of community. And, and you've heard me talk about this before, is that as a body, we all are gifted in different ways, and I need you, and you need me, and, and we need each other in order to live this life, and nobody's meant to live alone. But, but on a more intellectual or spiritual level, sometimes we need somebody to point out to us what's really happening, because you can get your head in the weeds, right? And you need somebody to reach down and pull your head up so that you can actually see what's going on around you. I think half my time as I'm 
counseling or just talking with people and a discipleship is just help them to zoom out to see what the bigger picture is. And so cr- that community is absolutely crucial. Now, there's two sides to this idea of community. And I think this is really important. Actually, there's three sides now that I think about it. And here's the first one, is that sometimes you will encounter people in your life who don't know the Lord. And yet the Lord is active. You know, we believe that the Holy Spirit is active always, everywhere, trying to get people to, to come to know a God who truly loves, loves them. And one of the, I, I think, the most fun moments of my life is when I've had people who have not been followers of Jesus talk to me about something, and I've been in a position to say, you know what, that might be God. And they kind of blink a little bit, and they wonder, and they're like, wait, wait a second, what? I'm like, yeah, that might be God. Maybe we ought to talk about that a little bit more. Because if they don't know the Lord, they don't know when he's calling or talking to them, and you have the opportunity. You know, sometimes I think in the church, we get so wrapped up in the idea of helping them say the sinner's prayer and, you know, get saved and whatnot, and very often that's not what our job is. Very often our job is just to point out the fact that there's a God who loves them and is talking to them. Keep it simple. You know, sometimes when we hear that and we see those circumstances, we can go, oh, that might be God. And then it's fun to watch what the reaction is. So here's the other uh, reason why community is is crucial. As you uh, learn to listen to God, you also have to learn how to share what you've learned. You have to share what you've heard. And I'll give you a, a couple of reasons why. First of all, you may need some help understanding it, but also someone else may need to know that God is speaking to you. Because if God is speaking to you, maybe God is speaking to them as well. And I've heard this many times where I've, I've listened to other people and, and they've, they've said, I've heard from the Lord or they've had a set of experiences where it was very clearly God moving among them. And, and I've thought to myself, well, if God's going to do that for them, certainly God can do that for me. And there's a, there's a, a passage that, that says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we talk about what Jesus is doing in our individual lives, there's also a pro- a prophetic nature to that because somebody else goes, oh wait, Jesus is active? Yep. Can Jesus do something in my life? Uh-huh. And, and we need that type of encouragement. So you have to learn also how to share into the community what's God, what God is doing in your life or the things that you've, you've heard because others need to hear that. It's encouragement. Or sometimes it's just holy jealousy. I want that too think that's important. And at the same time, um, I think the other message here is, is the perspective of Eli, is that we have to listen to the stories of others. We have to learn how to listen to it. One, you might learn something, of course, and you may, um, may choose to join them in that journey. And there's a variety of different ways that this can work out. The way that we typically talk about this in the church is, well, I'll pray for you. 
But sometimes what we need to do is we need to sit with the Lord on behalf of someone else. We call that priesting. Where someone is dealing with a set of circumstances or somebody that they know, and you say, I'm going to sit with the Lord for a period of time, and I'm just going to listen. Lord, what do you want to say to this person in this set of circumstances? And then really listen. Because there are times when people need you to do that because they're tired. When you're going through something and you've got to deal with all of those emotions, it's easy to get tired and worn out, isn't it? And what kind of strength will someone else lend you? Like, you know what, why don't you take a break? Let me sit with the Lord on this one. It's called priesting. Think of it as spiritual tag team wrestling. Tag in. I think that's perfectly appropriate. You can do that with your spouse. Sometimes your, your spouse is tired. Maybe you need to sit with the Lord on their behalf for whatever it is they're going through. Maybe it's a work-related item. Maybe it's something to do with the kids. Maybe it's another relationship. Maybe it's a health issue. Whatever it happens to be, hmm, let me sit with the Lord on this one. See, community is crucial because sometimes we need each other for motivation. Sometimes we need it to gain strength. Sometimes we need it for rest. But ultimately speaking, we need each other so many different ways. All right. Another comment I want to make here <clears throat> is don't be surprised if God uses your name. Don't be surprised by that. He knows you. He knows you. Why wouldn't he use your name? He knows everything about you. He knows your heart. So he'll use your name. And if he says it twice, he usually has something to say. Usually, at least in my experience, if you hear your name twice, get ready. Because God's got something that he wants to communicate to you some way, shape, or form. Last, um, the thing that I noticed about this story, um, we have to realize that it was God who called Samuel. Now, he was serving and ministering before the Lord, and he was doing all of the things that, that a a person would do in a place of worship. But it said he did not know the Lord, did not know the word of the Lord. God called, and he continued to call. That's astonishing. Because in the ancient Near East at that time, you called out to God's. God's never called out to you. This is a shift. This is a big shift in our understanding. And not only did he call once, not just three times, but four times, continued to call him. And so when God calls each one of us, and he does, because he knows you, it's not one and done. It's not like you might miss your chance. Nor is it three strikes and you're out. He continues to call. And God is after him even when, when both Eli and Samuel miss it. 
God's still pursuing Samuel. He's got something in mind for him. And here's the thing. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to, to hear this. Those of you who are at home, now's a good time to shush the kids, pull out a pen, and write this one down. But here it is. God's pursuing you, too. Each one of you. Maybe not for the same purposes as, as Samuel, but he has a purpose in mind for you, and God is pursuing you. He's calling your name, even if you miss it. Maybe the people around you are missing it. So I'm going to tell you, I know that he's calling you. I think that's in the nature of God, first and foremost. And I don't think God wastes anything, ever. And so I know in my heart that God is also pursuing each one of you. And he's calling you out by name. And so today is um, the first Sunday of the month, and, and our practice is to do um, this thing called communion. It's a very simple ritual that Jesus gave us. And we do it to remember. We do it to remember what Jesus did on the cross, and we do it to remember that the tomb is still empty. And you know the story because we just celebrated it a few months ago. But today, um, I want to suggest that as you are taking that communion, realize the cross and the empty tomb is part of the way God calls you. That he said, I'm doing this for you. Not the people sitting around you, although them too, but you. And you can say, as you're taking that cup or taking the bread, however you want to do it, God is calling you. God is calling me. And I suggest that you do that. So maybe we'll do it this way. Dan's going to come up. He's going to lead a song. And as you're um, opening up the plastic little chalice, when you take that bread out, pop it in your mouth, say to yourself, God is calling me. And then when you turn it over and you open the juice as you drink, I want you to Say it out loud if you can. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Use that simple ritual to understand a very large story that's being played out. Not just in the text, but in your own life as well. Thrive Church, we have what's called an open table. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. We invite you to participate in it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, hey, that's cool. If you're just kind of checking things out, we don't mind. Um, you don't have to participate in that, and uh, we're okay. Nobody's going to look at you funny, I promise. But when you do take it, when you take the bread, I want you to say to yourself, God is calling me. And when you drink, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. As we're singing the song, you can do this at any time. It's entirely up to you. We want it to be meaningful for what you're doing. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, a very common element on the table, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and passed it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. 
And every time you do, I want you to remember me. Remember that I'm calling you. And after the supper, he took a cup. And after he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples, passed it out to them, said, take and drink. And every time you do, I want you to remember me and remember that I'm calling you. Lord, I pray that um, as we sing, as we take these elements, that we would hear you very clearly speaking to us, reminding us how much you love us, reminding us that you are not just calling us once, but you continually call us every single day in many respects. I pray, Lord, that we would hear you. And so we invite you, God, to call us once again and to speak because your servants are listening. You know that Thrive Church is your church. You're the head of it. And we want to hear everything you have to say because we don't want to miss a thing that you have in mind. So Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And we just invite you to come now. Do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.